Well, good morning again, everyone who's here, and a welcome to those of you who are joining us online here at the Yogananda Amphitheater at Ananda Village. We welcome you. Um, my name is Naya Swami Anandi. This is Naya Swami Bharat, and our talk this morning will be given by Aaron Vinako. We have a wonderful reading this morning from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita one of our favorite subjects. Do you need a guru? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Many people scoff at the idea of having a guru. True to human nature generally, they make a virtue of their scoffing. I am responsible for what I do, they announce responsible for my mistakes as well as for my victories. What would I ever learn if I handed over my development to someone else? To depend on another for guidance would be an act of spiritual cowardice. It would be understandable for someone gifted with some trivial ability, for instance with words, to insist on doing his crossword puzzles himself without letting anyone else help him. But supposing, even in such trivial matters, he had no such gift, what virtue would there be in refusing to learn? For that matter, moreover, where do our gifts come from? They are not a native ability. Still, crossword puzzles are hardly an important challenge. What if a person wanted to do something daring? To climb a cliff, for instance but refused to study the art of mountain climbing. He would climb at the risk of his life. And how much more is risked than physical life at the great adventure of the divine search where the risk is to salvation itself? Where is the sacrifice in seeking guidance? Even a mountain guide wouldn't presume to do one's climbing for one, his purpose would be only to help the neophyte to climb safely. To have a wise guru is not a sign of weakness, but of plain common sense. All the saints, aware as they are of the hazards of the adventure, agree on the importance of having a guide or guru. And these are the heroes speaking, not cowards or spiritual weaklings. Jesus emphasized the importance of having a teacher by asking John to baptize him. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 3, we read of his coming to John. Thus, Jesus said to John, It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In the Bhagavad Gita, the fourth chapter, Sri Krishna says, Open thyself to those who have attained wisdom. They will be thy teachers. Ask questions of them, both verbally and mentally. Serve them faithfully and with devotion. How is the devotee to recognize one who has attained wisdom? The Bhagavad Gita gives us this inspiring description of the sage. By this sign is he known, being of equal grace, 
to comrades, friends, chance comers, strangers, lovers, enemies, aliens, and kinsmen, loving all alike, evil or good. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. So nice to see you. I'm going to start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity. We demand of thee as thy children. Thou art our father. We are made in thine image. We are thy children. We neither ask nor pray as beggars, but demand of thee as thy children the gifts of wisdom, salvation, health, happiness, and eternal joy. Whether naughty or good, we are still thy children, all of us. Help us to perceive and understand inwardly thy will for us. Teach us the independent use of our human will, since thou gavest it to us to use freely, attuned to thy wisdom-guided will. I wanted to start with that poem. It's one of my favorites, not just because I'm a school teacher <laughs> and I enjoy children, but it's a beautiful reminder to all of us of who we really are. We're children of God and we're children of the Guru. In India, the word for disciple is chela, which means child of the Guru. And that's the relationship that we're talking about today is that divine parent that spiritual parent that the guru is for us. As children, we may have forgotten because maybe it's a while ago for some of us, but we needed our parents to help us, to guide us, to support us, to teach us. Maybe some of us who have become parents are learning again how much work that is and how important that is and how much more important on the spiritual path in our spiritual life to have a guide, to have that spiritual parent, to love us, to guide us, and to help us to attune our will to that wisdom-guided will. That's a very important part of that poem that uh, I encourage you to really take in and pray deeply. Attune my will to thy wisdom-guided will, because our will isn't free. We think we're free when we get to do what we want, like children. <laughs> and that's childishness. That's being in the ego. We want to be childlike in our search for God and to take that will and attune it to the divine will. Our will is mostly directed by our desires by our likes and dislikes, by our karma. And 
a lot of time we don't even realize it. It's going in all these different directions. It's like that beautiful image that Swamiji often used of a bar of metal with all of its molecules going in different directions, canceling each other out. And when it comes into contact with the magnet, what happens to those molecules? What happens to that will? It becomes aligned, it becomes magnetized and directed north and south. And when we come into contact with the guru, our will becomes directed towards God, toward that divine will. So we need that attunement, we need that help. We can't do it ourselves. Somebody talks about if we try to start turning some of those molecules in the right direction, we might be able to do that. We have a little bit of energy and we can maybe turn some of our habits and some of our energy in the right direction. And we can get pretty far in that way. But if we really want to go all the way to God, we need help. We need a guru, right? Because as soon as we start turning some and we go to the next group, those first few start turning back around again, right? And so we need that divine magnet to infuse us with that power, with that energy. The thing is, we sometimes think it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. That's a hard thing for a lot of us. I don't know if it's just our culture or if it's a global phenomenon, but I know for me, that was a big thing to learn on the path is how to ask for help. And when I did, when I really started to learn that lesson, the energy really started to flow because I could receive the help from the guru. You just look at the masters and the saints. They are always praying to God. They're always asking for help. I wouldn't call any of them spiritual weaklings by any means, right? They're filled with divine power. But how? Through that attunement, through asking for help. I think of... Um, Rajasi, Janakananda, Yogananda's foremost disciple. And he was incredibly powerful, both materially and spiritually. He was a millionaire. He had all these businesses. He was very successful and also spiritually. And Yogananda said to him, don't forget where your power comes from. And what was his response? Like a little boy. I won't, Master. It comes from you. He wasn't afraid to admit that his power came from God, came from the Guru. What a powerful example for us to humble ourselves, to ask for that help, to allow the Guru into our lives to help us. In thinking about this idea of where our strength comes from and this idea of weakness, I noticed a couple weeks ago that the Festival of Light, the story of the little bird, is a story of how we find our own strength and where it really comes from. Because we start out like that fledgling bird and we start to fly and we glory in our newfound strength and we think we're good for a while until, <laughs> until we come up against some trial and the weaker 
the more it fought back, the weaker it became. We try to use our own strength and we realize, hmm, this isn't enough. This isn't doing it. And what do we learn? To surrender. Surrender to me and your strength will be renewed. Now, in the story of the little bird, it's, you know, it takes a few moments to tell this story. How many lifetimes, though, we have to learn. We have to be that little bird in the revolt, right? The first, the second stage is the revolt. Until we finally learn that our strength to fly has never been our own. And then we come to the quest to try to find the source of that strength. So the question, I think, is not so much, do you need a guru? But are you ready for a guru? I think we all eventually will come to that quest for God and we will need a guru. And in fact, I think we have him already, whether we're disciples or not. You know, it's like Sri Teshwar said, uh, Yogananda asked him, when will I find God? Yogananda's asking that, when will I find God? And Sri Teshwar says, you have him already. We have the guru already. He's waiting for us. So the question is, are we ready? to receive him into our life. Are we in that revolt still? That's okay. The guru will wait. He loves us. He'll wait. I think about that story of when Yogananda met Sri Teshwar for the first time. And... Sri Teshwar's, I mean, we know Yogananda had been searching and we know what a beautiful moment that was for him. But if you read that again, Sri Teshwar's response is equally beautiful and deep. He says, oh, my own, you've come to me. Oh, my own, you have come to me. And he repeats that over and over. How many years I have waited for you. The guru will wait for us. The guru is there. And when we're ready, he will come. He'll be there for us, as long as it takes. So I found this beautiful story that was told by Brother Mokshananda of a rather independent disciple who was a strong, big, strong man, and he liked to go out swimming in the ocean at Encinitas. And... Uh, he liked to swim out past the breakers and float around and then come back. But there were riptides and undercurrents, undertow, there that he wasn't aware of. And Master said to him repeatedly, I don't want you to go swimming alone. I don't want you to go swimming alone. Over and over again. And this disciple didn't listen. So one night, Master says, I don't want you to go out swimming alone. Well, the next day, he's driving back. You can see where this is going. <laughs> it's, it's a familiar story, I think, to many of us. <laughs> right? We get those, those bits of intuition, those messages. Ooh, but we're not quite ready to attune our will. We just want to. We, but, oh, it's so fun to go swimming, right? And uh, so he's driving back the next day from San Diego. It's a beautiful, sunny day, beautiful day for a swim. So he goes back, first he goes back to the ashram and he gets a few of the boys that are staying there and he brings them with him to the beach. So he's obeying master's will a little bit, right? Don't we do that sometimes? We try to compromise with the guru. (laughs) 
and uh, he leaves them on the beach and he swims out. And <laughs> and he, it's very easy to swim out, he notices. There's no resistance. Now, that's another clue, right? Because sometimes when we're following our own will and there's no resistance, we think that that's, we're following God's will. But not always so. So he gets out and he's swimming around and he's ready to come in. I think it's a big surprise because as soon as he tries to swim back, he starts to go under and take on water. And he doesn't know what's going on, but he's still confident that he can get through this. He hasn't um, totally realized the severity of the situation. And so he's still exercising his own will. And he's, you know, he's strong. And so he dives down again, trying to get through the undertow. And um, he, again, gets pulled under and takes on water. And so he comes up and he realizes, he knows enough that if he tries again and doesn't succeed, that's it. So what does he do? He turns over onto his back and he starts to pray. What a beautiful image, right? That's surrender. And at first his prayer is, Lord, if you have anything that you want me to do, you have to help me. <laughs> and he's just floating there and he's feeling kind of sorry for himself and um, he's thinking of Master and he's remembering all those times that Master said, I don't want you to go swimming alone. He's feeling very badly. And finally, he says inwardly, I'm sorry, Master. And he surrenders. And he's just floating there. And all of a sudden, this beautiful light surrounds him. And he knows that no matter what happens, he'll be okay. And he looks over, and a huge wave comes and carries him to shore. Next thing he knows, he's lying on the beach, catching his breath. And he gathers up the boys and rushes back to find Master to thank him. And before he can even get up the stairs, Master pokes his head out and says, I don't want you to go swimming alone anymore. <laughs> and that is what God is telling us. I don't want you to go swimming alone. Don't swim in this ocean of delusion all by yourself. Take this help that I'm giving you, this gift of a guru, to guide you, to help you. Just open, open your heart like that disciple did, just turning over, opening your heart, begin to pray and surrender. I'm sorry, Master. Just to think of the Guru and invite him in, what power that has. But why do we resist? It's not that we're bad. I mean, it's just part of the journey, like that little bird. It's just part of the journey. Even Swami Kriyananda, when he met Master, Yogananda said to him, will you give me your unconditional obedience? And Swamiji had to be honest. He had to pause and he said, suppose sometime I think you're wrong. And Master said, I will never ask anything of you that God does not tell me to ask. Why do we resist? We resist because we don't understand who the Guru is. The Guru is God. He's just a channel for that love, for that joy, for that guidance that God's trying to give us to bring us home. He'll never ask anything of us that's not for our own highest good. 
He's only, as, as uh, Sri Teshwar said, I'm happy in your own true happiness. I mean, what relationship could we ever find here on earth like that? I'm happy only in your true happiness, in you achieving your own highest potential. That's all the Guru wants for us. He's not trying to make us into anything that we're not. He wants, he sees who we really are and he wants us to achieve that divine potential. Yogananda said, the bond of the guru and the disciple is not that of master and slave. It is an eternal bond of divine love and friendship. If in the beginning the guru disciplines his disciple, it is as that disciple's best and truest friend, as one who would help him to achieve what he most wants in his soul. Why not have a guru? Why not have a guru? When you're ready, why not? Why not welcome him in? What a great gift. What a precious gift. So how do we welcome the guru in? Because this is a big, important part of having a guru. As the Bhagavad Gita said, open thyself and ask questions and serve the guru. So how do we open ourselves? I've been practicing in my evening meditation, the purification ceremony, which is a beautiful, I've realized it's, it's just a reaffirmation of our discipleship. We come to the Guru and we say, I seek purification by the grace of God. We have to come seeking. We have to be on that quest. And what does the Master say? Open your heart to me and I will enter and take charge of your life. But you have to open your heart. He won't force himself in. You have to open your heart and ask for that help. I had an interesting experience that I'll share. It was a couple years ago. I had to get a tooth taken out and uh, replaced, and so I had to have an implant put in. It was quite a intense procedure. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to it. And uh, I was telling a friend of mine about it, and I was all sort of nervous and, you know, telling her, and, you know, it's, they're going to have their hands in my mouth, and it just, just the image of it, I was getting myself all worked up. <laughs> and... She said so matter-of-factly, matter she's a fellow disciple, she said so matter-of-factly, just imagine their master's hands. <laughs> I have to admit, I laughed at her because it hadn't even crossed my I mean, the thought of that just hadn't even crossed my mind. It sounded absurd in that moment. But the more I thought about it, why not? Why not invite the guru into this? Right? And so I went and had the procedure done and... I had the guru on one side and his assistant, Divine Mother, on the other side. And I, I don't know, it was one of the most blissful, <laughs> it was one of the most powerful experiences of bliss in my life, honestly. I had tears coming down my eyes. Just to receive that love, they're just there to help you. They're just there to take care of you, get rid of what is no longer needed take away that darkness, take away that delusion, and just they're just there to take care of you. They're not there to hurt you. 
but just to feel, to invite the master in in that way. And we can do that all the time. We can do that every day in everything we do. You know, sit and have tea with master. Go for a walk with master. Talk to him. Ask questions inwardly. Uh, Sister Gyanamata is a beautiful example of this. She was always inwardly in tuning herself to Master and asking him questions, but inwardly, not outwardly. And she writes in one of her letters that one time she did ask him a question outwardly. She had noticed something and had an experience with him, and she asked him, what was it? Such a simple question, what was it? And what was his answer? God through me. Those three words, God through me. And she says those three words sum up the whole of the relationship between the master and the disciple. God through me in everything, always. I want to end with this quote from Sri Teshwar that talks about the power of divine love. And just remember that the guru is a channel for that love. As much as we can invite him in, he can help us. He can transform us with that love. He says, ordinary love is selfish, darkly rooted in desires and satisfactions. Divine love is without condition, without boundary, without change. The flux of the human heart is gone forever at the transfixing touch of pure love. Don't go out swimming alone. <laughs> Invite the Guru in every day, in every moment that you can. Bless you. Life is a dream, time like a stream Carries our burdens away Never despair, joys everywhere Love can be friend new today Free from all care, like birds on the Seek joy and begin. Often on earth, things of great worth, worldly ambitions defy. Sometimes the friend helps us ascend up from life's cares to the a star or shining afar it can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh love is a star oh shining afar it can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh